Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Palace Way podcast, back with the final podcast of 2023. I feel like I should have like a popper or something, you know, like a little one of those ones, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's been a bit of a journey, you know, we've not got it right every time, but I think, you know, as time's gone on, we've been more consistent and and we've been uh, having a real good go at it. So I'm enjoying podcasting. It's, uh, and by what we can see, it looks like you guys are as well. So yeah, very delighted to have uh, made it through the year and it feels that way, a bit of drudgery for Palace fans, but uh, I digress, I digress. I'm Alex, you know me, uh, I'm joined by the Palace Ways Senior Editor, Bobby Banzi. How are you doing, Bobby? Yeah, good yourself. Yeah, not too bad. It was good to see you at the weekend as well. Yeah, at the City game, we had a bit of fun. Um, the game the game was brilliant as well, so can't ask for much more, really. It was a bit of a pantomime atmosphere, wasn't it? I found that. It was um, really funny in the stands. And before we get into that, um, actually, before I even get into what I was about to say, was I as short as you were expecting? I've got to ask. Um, I don't know. Everyone seems short to me, so it's quite hard to <laughs> You're fucking lanky, man. I didn't expect that. <laughs> Uh, for listeners who don't know, I'm about five foot six and, and Bruno and, and Bobby are both really tall. So I, I get a lot of stick for it, as you can imagine. Um, so speaking of short man syndrome, Palace, very much the underdogs going into the City game, but coming away with a very hard earned point. I mean, I think no one was really expecting anything. Um, it, for me, I was almost, I said to you, Bobby, before the game, I was a bit of a tourist half of the time because as much as I was there for the Palace and to really sing my heart out and get stuck in, I lived down the road from the Etihad. So when you see it literally commuting into work like every day or every other day, I should say, you know, it's, you kind of feel obliged to go and see it. But, you know, it was something I would have done anyway and I'm very much happy to have been there just for the sake of it. But to come away with something off what was a very spirited comeback performance at Palace was, was really something else. And um, speaking of expectations, Bobby, I want to talk a bit about the lineup because, you know, I actually joked in the stands with some people around me and, and vice versa that we were playing seven defenders because we started with a back five. You know, we had uh, Joel Ward at right centre back and, and Klein as more of a wing back. And we had uh, Chris Richards and Gyro who have both played as natural centre halves in their career um, in field. So, you know, it was a very negative lineup. We don't want to look at the game granularly, but I do think there's something to be said here about the tactics and the mentality coming into City. So I'll hand over to you because I've been babbling. What do you think? I say when we were walking over to the ground, um, we were talking about a lineup, and we we spoke about how it was going to be at five at the back, and I wasn't too unhappy with that mm-hmm. because it meant the game plan was going to be stay tight defensively, try and hit them on the break, and see what you can do. Keep it tight, and as long as you're in still in the game with twenty minutes to play, you might have a chance to nick a point from the game, or maybe even all three points if it was still at nil nil. Then that was the game plan from the game. That's what the lineup told me, and I think it worked. Um, it was a shame to see Wall go off injured, but I think it was a bit of a blessing in disguise, really, because Richards went to centre half and had a brilliant game, and Ozo was just fantastic in midfield. We'll get on to Ozo properly in a minute, but I think it was really interesting, as you say, about Joel Ward there. We won't go into, like I say, granular detail, but obviously Palace can see very early to, uh, to Jack Grealish. I think we held our own, really, for the first sort of 10, 15 minutes, but it doesn't take long for him to get on the score sheet. Um, I mean, arguably, I, I do think he was onside, to be fair, but we're talking by the, the hairiest margins, and it really depends, again, on the perspective of the camera and how you measure the line. So I think there was a bit of controversy there as to whether he was offside or not. I mean, really quick fire, but just before I move on to, to Ozo, what did you think of that offside call? It was tight. Um, I'd seen it back a couple of times and it really was what angle you looked at it from. But I think when they're that tight, it's, it would have been really harsh for it to have been offside. No, no, for sure. I think, you know, we, we talk about clear and obvious and, you know, as much as it went against us at the end of the day, I think we'd feel hard done by if that was at the other end. So I think, you know, it was one of those classic palace L's we just have to accept and move on. Um, but of course, a big flashpoint that I think really got fans optimistic and, and gave them something to look forward to was 
real trust being put on David Ozo. I, I don't think anyone expected that, frankly. You know, Ward was forced off with injury as a kind of right centre-half on uh, 34 minutes. David Ozo comes on and obviously given a, a huge show of faith by Roy Hodgson there to basically be given licence to see out uh, the majority of the game against, you know, arguably the best team in world football at the moment. It's it's a lot of weight on that young man's shoulders, but, you know, he really rose to the challenge. Um, and of course, he saw more meaningful minutes against Brighton as well, playing uh, just over half an hour. So, well, I mean, could have been um, super negative with the substitution taking Ward off and uh, by bringing Tompkins on. He could have, Tompkins were on the bench. He could have brought Tompkins on at centre-half, kept Richards in midfield, but he was pragmatic. And instead, he put Richards from uh, central midfield back to centre-half and then put Ozo in midfield. So that ambition from Roy, if you like, that putting trust in the younger players, it, it was good to see. But I want to talk a bit about morale as well, because as I said, you know, it was a theme throughout the game, really. You know, David Henderson, Dean Henderson came into the side, obviously, you know, unexpectedly having really been forcing his way, as we found out later through a virus and through through injury to come back and just fi- about find enough fitness to start. You know, we were expecting Ray Matthews in on, on the pod and, and, you know, we certainly discussed whether Joe Whitworth would be starting. But as is the case, he came back into the side, you know, we saw minutes from Mateus Franza at the end. We saw Ozo being given a good run out. I mean, it, it just has fans on their feet again. It really gave fans something to look forward to. So when we've got something to look forward to like that, I think it just gives that sense of belief again. Um, And it's something that Palace fans have lacked for a long time. I mean, just looking at the wider context of City and Brighton, both being 1-1 draws, by the way, you know, Palace have only got one win in 11, right? That's an astoundingly bad record. And, you know, there are still wider questions to be be raised here. But let's focus on Ozo, okay? So he's not really had much time in the Premier League. You know, how did you find his overall performance then slotting in as back of of a pivot when, uh, when Roy Hodgson sort of rejigged the system? Yeah, I think against both City and Brighton as well, I thought it was superb. I thought he broke up the play really well. I thought it was good when the ball came to him and he had to get it out quickly and play the ball out quickly. I, I thought it was a very good performance. His passing was good. He, as I say, already said, his breakup play was brilliant. A very strong performance from a young man. Very, very assured. I mean, I, I really can't say much more than that. It was fantastic. Um, he just looked like he's... someone who'd been playing in the Premier League for five years especially against City rather than it was his Premier League debut I just he was brilliant no completely I mean we really have to, to to just give some perspective here you know we can't just expect him to be a world beater every week you know that's that's a, it's ridiculous to ask of someone of uh, and his I think experience there was times um, against Brighton where he looked a little bit raw going to the ball winning the ball he was brilliant. He shut players down quickly. He wasn't afraid to put a tackle in. It's exactly what you want to see from a central midfielder at that age. The basics are there and he's just going to get better and better. Absolutely. Just some key statistics for you here. David Ozo versus Man City away from home. He played for 56 minutes. So, you know, a considerable amount of time here. This isn't just a brief cameo that we've been used to seeing as Palace fans. He had a 91% pass completion he only had one dribble, but he completed it successfully. He won three quarters of his uh, ground duels, recovered twice, didn't commit a single foul against the treble holders. You know, we have to be proud of that. It's it's phenomenal. But, you know, we could praise him all day. But at the end of the day, you know, these these are just sort of the introductory spells for someone who has the makings of a Premier League footballer. So we don't want to jump the gun. We do have to read expectations as fans and give him patience and time. And as you say, against Brighton, he was more raw. But even then, against Brighton, he had 31 minutes played. He made 10 passes and all of them found their target. I mean, admittedly, a lot of them were short and not very progressive. So, you know, he's not penetrative here, but we have to forgive him for that. 
He won two of his tackles, which is all of them. He he made four ball recoveries and he managed to go into nine duels. You know, he wasn't exactly going missing. You know, he had this sort of uh, half hour spell or so, um, but still very much looked combative. He progressed play. There was a big run um, towards Mateta that he made that looked like it could actually result in something. So, you know, this was very much not a bad performance from him either. In fact, he's the second youngest Premier League player with over 100 minutes played this season, just to give you some perspective, you know. Brighton themselves have Jack Hinshaw coming through, who again looked quite funny in terms of the chances he missed. But nonetheless, I have to admit, you know, had a fairly tidy performance, even if he messed, made a few errors there and missed a few big chances. You know, they, it, there's quite a theme across the Premier League of uh, a kind of new wave of, of youngsters pulling through. And it's nice to be able to, to contribute to that as a club. You know, City, it was always going to be a demanding performance. And, uh, you know, we want to give a particular mention to Dean Henderson again, because he was someone who I thought had a phenomenal game against City. We'll get on to Brighton as well after this, because <laughs> that's another conversation, Bobby, isn't it? At City, he was brilliant. If it wasn't for Dean Henderson, Palace could have been out of that game very quickly, which seems harsh on the team because they actually played really well. They defended well. They kept it tight. But City, as they do, they undone Palace with moments of quality and Dean Henderson was just there answering everything they threw at him. Um, And then if you go on to the Brighton game, he looked like he was playing with a bit of an injury still, not up to full fitness. Uh, There were suggestions that he had been ill and you could really see that by the end of the game. He looked knackered. Um, I was sitting behind the goal. Um, and his legs had just looked like they turned into jelly. He was quincing every time he kicked the ball. So he showed some real good resilience to stay on the pitch and finish that game. Um, could have quite easily been 2-1 to Brighton when he'd come out to claim the ball and it hit well back on the head and started going towards the goal. But fortunately, it went wide for Palace. But I do think on the whole, he's very good. He's going to be a very good keeper for Palace. And it's just the sense of he needs to get to full fitness. He needs some game time because against Brighton, he looked like a keeper who hadn't played very many games this season. Yeah, absolutely. I thought, again, against Brighton, I think he made these very sort of high profile errors that were being dug out. But really, I think in the circumstances, you know, to be recovering from A, a virus and B from, you know, a very substantial injury um, and to basically be rushed back into fitness by his own standards, not by the clubs, is uh, a testament to his character. My concern yeah. here, Bobby, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is whether we're pushing him a bit too much. And, you know, is there a risk here that he aggravates his injury, that we're unprepared for that? You know, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, that's always a risk and you only have to look at like, he finished the game yesterday by the fact he looked like he was in constant pain. He looked like he was knackered. He looked like he was unfit in a sense and not as in unfit as a human, but unfit to play. Um, so I think that is always a risk, but I think he'll push for it. I think he'll get a couple of days rest now. I don't think they'll push it too hard in training because they understand that he is a risk for injury, if you like. Um, and he'll come back into the game against Chelsea. He'll be all right. Um, and then we play Brentford and then there's a nice, oh, you've got the FA Cup. Hopefully someone else comes in in goal then. Then he's got a nice break before the next Premier League game. So as long as he's not pushed too hard in training and just has to play the games, I think he'll be okay. No, absolutely. I think, you know, he's someone we're going to have to lean upon, like it or not. But I think he's someone who I think, not just in his actions in terms of actually being fit for the last two games, but in his general attitude and, and the sort of things we hear in interviews, I think he's raring for that. He's not someone who I think is is cautious about his own injuries. I think he's really determined to help the team as much as possible and prove why we spent this much money on him. We've already talked about this part, of course, on the amount of money that was spent, whether that was a good use of money. I think we all agree strategically it wasn't very good. You've spent on him is a, is a bit of a myth. Uh, there's lots of figures pounded around out there, mm. but I've heard pretty good authority that it was nowhere near the figure that people keep pounding around. So people being hard on the spending of money, 
um, on Dean Henderson. He's a brilliant keeper. It's a brilliant signing. He's a young keeper. You've got to remember he's four years younger than Sam Johnson. So he's your number one for the future. Uh, Palace's goalkeeping ranks is phenomenal. You've got two England international goalkeepers in your squad. All right, Henderson hasn't been in the last few squads because he's been injured. But if you if you look at how good the quality of goalkeepers we have, it's up there with the Arsenal in strength and depth with Ramsdale and Raya. Johnson and Henderson are two brilliant goalkeepers. No, for sure. We're blessed in that department. And I think, you know, there are worse problems to have, frankly. The money was there. We're never going to get anywhere. Whatever we might have paid for him, we're not going to get a figure as good as that in his career, probably. You know, he was out the picture at United. And, you know, even though we'd seen him at the peak of his powers there, I think really he's not had a, a sustained spell in the top flight. Like he may potentially get a palace. So the only way is up for him here. And uh, that's something that should be really encouraging. It's uh, it's a nice problem to have, like I say. And no, there are plenty of have a career-ending injury. Palace will well, well, yeah. leave. I want to be Palace's number one for a hell of a long time or Palace will get a massive figure for him in the next three or four years. No, absolutely. I think it was a sound investment from that perspective and I think it was just maybe the the right signing at the right price but at the wrong time. Um, I think we're all aware that there are glaring issues with the squad but we do I seem don't to think be it was the wrong time though because I think, I think the club knew that Sam was going to get injured um, because everyone knows he's got an injury in him. Uh, everyone knew that Henderson, okay, is an injury risk, but once he's back to full fitness, then he will be able to take that role from Sam. And it will be a very competitive for who actually is number one once they're both back to full fitness. So I wouldn't say it was the wrong time. I would just say that it was unfortunate that he got injured on his debut, but everyone knew he was going to come back to fitness. Everyone knew Johnson again. So it's actually worked out all right. So going to the break, Palace are a, are a goal down, but very much not out. You know, there was questions about whether we would be able to come back into that game, but there was clearly a change of tactical impetus from Roy Hodgson there, a change of formation and the likes of David Ozo coming in and already showing signs of being comfortable. It's something that got Palace fans in the away end on their seats. And, you know, we have to say it was a bit of a, a strange one when Rico Lewis in true charity FC style goes and scores his first Premier League goal. Um, but they put faith in him. He comes back after the break. Take, talk us through a bit about that goal, because I know, again, we don't really like to talk about specific moments, but I think there's something to be talked here about, something to talk about in terms of the defending here. Yeah, it was weak, wasn't it? It was weak defending. I, I think we were a bit all over the shop at the back. Um, no one really knew who to pick up. It was The ball was bouncing around. It, it just looked sloppy. I think we had a few moments like that where Gay and Anderson respectively seem to switch off and forget their runner. And Rico Lewis is kind of allowed to walk through. He's not yeah. particularly coming from outside the box or anything crazy, but he's certainly allowed to just move into space and, and just break free from his man. So okay. it kind of flies in the face really of how we started to play and how we adapted into that game. But certainly towards the last 15 minutes or so, it was a miraculous turnaround from Palace. But we'd be remiss not to talk about the Edison flashpoint because there was a huge, huge, not penalty shout, but a red card shout actually in terms of how the sweeper keeper did the sweeping on Matata, who not only was through on goal um, after a really clever release, but it actually rounded the keeper with the ball and managed to get it past him just about before Edison then dives in and clips his heel and takes him out. I mean, what did you think of that moment? And do you think we were robbed there of a, of a red card? I think it's a blatant red card, if I'm being brutally honest. Um, I don't think a keeper can come out the way he come out and then just purely take the man out. The argument not for a red card from um, the referee is that Mateta took the ball away from goal. But I totally dispute that argument because the only reason he took the ball away from goal was because Edison came flying out at him and then took him out. 
So that's the only reason the touch has gone past him because mm. it's his only way to get round him and get a shot away at goal. I don't think the defender's argument comes out in at it because if he's passed Edison, he's got a free shot at goal. Not necessarily saying he scores it, but it's definitely the denial of a clear goal scoring opportunity for me. And I think it's a blatant red card. No, no, for sure. I mean, I couldn't really agree more. I mean, to me, it looked like, you know, even from where I was sat in the away end, I had a, we had a very, very good view um, almost from our perspective, you know, actually attacking their end. So we could see the whole thing from behind. And what you saw is, all right, he wasn't central, but the ball had clearly moved on in the replay. And then from where we were sat, we could see that if he had got past the keeper, he would have been able to slot home at an angle. He would have had enough ground that it wasn't the tightest of angles and it would have been very much on. So for me, a very clear denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. And I think a lot of, you know, football social media and other accounts were very much drawing attention to it for that reason. So very, very controversial, but of course... Palace get their comeuppance, don't they? On the stroke of 75 minutes or thereabouts, I think Palace's sort of game plan and adaption of shape really comes to the fore here. We see a really, really good release from the back to Jeffrey Schlupp, who then, in the classic Palace fashion against a team like this, manages to find Matata on the counter-attack, doesn't he, and slots in. So, I mean, what did you find about that moment that was most striking to you? I thought it was a brilliant goal, if I'm being honest with you. It was a really good team goal. The um, It was exciting attacking football, quick counter-attack. Uh, ball falls really nicely to Schlupp, who play, does brilliantly to get it across. I mean, I think it's poor defending from Man City, actually, but brilliant to get it across. And Mateta just has to tap it into an empty net, which he does brilliantly. It's just a really good team goal, really good quick counter-attacking play. It's brilliant from Palace. It's not something we really see with Matata as a poacher. I mean, he does score a few poached goals, to be fair, but often I'm talking more in terms here, by the way, of his attributes, because, you know, he's got quite a large figure, he's quite physical, but he's not necessarily the quickest um, no, so but although- I, think, I think what JP has got the most about his game is that his positioning is brilliant. He he gets into good positions. He knows where the back of the net is. And I think that's what he, the biggest uh, attribute to his game is, is that he can get into good positions. And that goal was testament to him and his good positional play. What I've really enjoyed as well was his physicality. So, you know, he's not the quickest, but he certainly made somewhat of a run to get in behind there and and bully his man. He holds him off with one arm. And it really reminds me a lot of the goal in that 3-1 win over Villa a few seasons ago. I think it was an August win, actually, against Gerrard's Villa at the time. Um, He came off the bench, didn't he, and pretty much immediately scored. It was uh, only talking a few minutes here. And I distinctly remember him bullying Tyrone Minks for that. And I think it's a testament to... If you look at JP, I think... All the goals he scores are very good goals. They're, they're proper strikers' goals. The first goal he scored against Brighton was phenomenal. He knows where the back of the net is. He knows how to score goals. It's just being able to get the best out of him. Every, Like I said earlier, everyone knows you can't get 90 minutes out of Mateta. But if he can give you 60 minutes, if he can get you a goal, because he gets into good positions and a striker like him will score goals for a team. So it's just, it's just using him the right way giving him confidence. I think he's a massive confidence player. When people boo him at Brighton away last year, people booed him and he put his hands up like, why me? I think you just, he's a player who needs love. He's a player who needs an arm around his shoulder. And if you give him that, I think you will then start to see the best out of Mateta. Now he's never going to be the best striker in the world, but he'll get you goals. He'll certainly get you goals. And he works hard. If you look at the second goal, that run he made to shut the City player down, to win the penalty, it was just brilliant. So, I mean, I, I do think there is someone in Mateta, there is a good player in Mateta and you just need to you just need to care for him in the right way, in a sense. What do you think about the tactics and how we could do against that?
Well, without further ado, we'll wrap up there. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Um, of course, it's the last pod, as we said at the start of the year, and I did already express my gratitude, but I just want to say again, thank you for all your support in 2023. It's been a very bumpy ride, and for the most part, not a particularly pleasant one. So both for your support and for the club and for this podcast, it's been absolutely immense. And, you know, we're always reading your feedback and we're very grateful. So um, if you could leave us a five-star review, that'd be brilliant. But if not, that's absolutely fine. We just want your feedback. You can leave one star. You can moan about me, whoever. It's absolutely fine. Your feedback is always appreciated because we just want to improve the product, improve the podcast, improve the whole offering, really. If you've not done so already, give us a follow on Twitter at The Palace Way and obviously check out thepalaceway.com. It's exactly as you'd expect it to be in terms of spelling. Um, we've got all the works on there so it's the latest podcast but it's also loads of high quality analysis reviews previews you name it it's there and um, we obviously regularly engage with fans and you as well and we obviously feed that back into the pod too you know we want it to be an open discussion with everyone and we really again value your feedback so if you could go and give that a follow and a check out that would be great um, I think the only other thing for me to say is of course as I said last podcast of the year and um, we're recording right before Christmas so for those that celebrate, obviously a very Merry Christmas from myself and everyone at the Palace Way team. Um, it's a joyous time for many, but for some, not so much. And we appreciate that um, it's been a very tough winter for many. And, you know, obviously we we only want the best for our fans and listeners. And we're, again, very grateful for your support. So please have a lovely Christmas. Stay safe and enjoy it and spend time with loved ones, be that friends or family. Um, and of course, again, a very happy new year. Um, we will be recording probably in the new year, actually, as, as we go on to Brentford. So it probably will be a while before we get the next pod out. But again, we're trying to stick to a fairly regular schedule, despite the very irregular pattern of games that we get over Christmas. And uh, we're doing our best. You know, we don't get it right all the time, but we're heading in the right direction. And again, we couldn't do it without you. So I'll stop waffling. Bobby, do you want to say anything before we wrap up? Yeah, just echoing the message um, that you shared. Um, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year from everyone at the Palace Way. And I look forward to seeing as many of you as possible at Stamford Bridge on the 27th of December. Thank you very much. I think for all of us and for all our sakes, I think we hope he does. But, you know, nonetheless, a very impressive cameo again. And I think as the season goes on, I'm expecting more minutes for him. But last but not least, of course, we have to talk about Michael Elise's penalty. Um, it's something that required serious cojones. Um, But of course, it wouldn't have happened without some great play from Matata. So, Bobby, again, I'm going to sort of break principle here and I'll just talk me through the penalty and what led up to it. Oh, it was brilliant. Um, so City won the ball back. Um, the ball fell to um, their player on the right-hand side. Mateta busted a gut to run, shut him down, nick the ball back off him, uh, make his way back towards the box. And, uh, I mean, it was a stonewall penalty from there. It was a blatant foul. And referee gives the penalty. You weren't sure what he was going to give at first. He blew his whistle and he hesitated, but eventually pointed to the spot. VAR confirmed it. And Michael Olise just stepped up and how cool did he look? It was brilliant. He just nestled it into the corner and that away. And I'm sure you would say the same, Alex. It just erupted. Oh, it's, I've not experienced serious away and limbs like that. Probably ever. <laughs> like, like I've been for some good away days, um, particularly this season. Like I think it's my first away day actually was Sheffield. So it was nice to win a game. But then other than that, I've only been to the... Uh, the old Trafford Cup game, which was very much anything but a win. So it was uh, it was a real struggle. But I think to see just absolutely lunge like that was, was magical. I think it was something that we've been robbed of as a fan base for a long time, actually. Uh, I don't think there's been a lot of enjoyable moments this season that could be really identified. Um, but I think that to be up there is something that, you know, in the end of season highlight reels will be li- living long in the memory of Palace fans. So absolutely no complaints for me. It was a, um, it was a very fun day out. I, so- oh, it was great was there as a fan and it was just fun from leaving London Euston in the morning to getting home at London Euston at 
whatever time it was, 11 o'clock, something like that. Yeah, you and a lot of listeners, I'm sure, were absolute troopers in how you did that. I mean, I'm lucky because, as I said earlier at the start of the pod, I only live around the corner, so I'm quite privileged. But, um, you know, it was it was really good fun. Actually, just hearing some stories. I mean, I'm going to take a little aside before we look at Brian just to talk about some stories because I want to give a shout out to some people that, you know, obviously anonymized them, but all sorts of characters I met on the way in and were, were sat around me. You know, I had a guy who flew in from Dubai who lives out there. He then driven up his dad from from mid Wales to come to that. You know, they, they had this kind of pre-Christmas family reunion and uh, they were in absolute ecstasy there. There was loads of sort of groups of pals I met, some some of them from the HF, some of them from just all over the country, really. Obviously, there's me being in Manchester. I haven't really gone that far. So it was just really nice to see everyone come together in a moment like that, in a way well, that we should, I personally um, We should give um, Mikey from Matchday CPFC a bit of a shout as well, coming all the yes. way from Alabama to watch the game. He, he should come more often. Maybe he's, he was Palace's lucky charm. And of course, a friend on the pod who we've had on as a host before. So uh, if you're listening, Mike, a big shout out. Um, Birmingham, Alabama's second finest person to be associated with Palace other than the obvious. So so well done there. But seriously, it was um, we had a fan base from China that had come over. We had a couple of guys from there. Like It was really, really interesting. And I feel like people had really made a day of it um, more so than normal. So it was uh, it's a bit of a hunting ground for Palace. And I think it was really good to make some memories. Just one last thing. I think some of you in the away end, um, there was quite a lot of us that were affected by it. There was a, there was a guy, a City fan in a Santa hat, just mouthing off the whole game and starting this feud with this guy, sort of backing and forthing the whole time. So we all had enough and we just started just saying, you know, you're just a shit father Christmas, shit father Christmas, you know. Um, Is that in the upper tier? No, it was the mid tier. I, I was right in the middle, but I think you could see it from the um, from the upper tier as well. So I think you get caught up in it. That's what, um, that's what I meant. I meant the upper tier of the away end. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, we so were in the lower tier, so we didn't see any of that. We we had some quite antagonistic City fans next to us, but you know, it's a part of the game. It, it was fun. It was a good away day. It was very pantomime, you know, and uh, I think bantering hope at the end with the whole Santa, what's the score chant was also quite fun. So, uh, you know, there were a few grumpy City fans on the way home. I got spat at and called a wanker. Like it was, it's like I take it in my stride because, you know, a they're not wrong, and b it's part of being a football fan, right? That's what you do. So. Anyway, I digress. It was a really good day out for those involved. And obviously from uh, from the TPW perspective, good to see you again, Bobby. So I'll move on to Brighton because I think, you know, again, coming into that game, there was obviously a weight of expectation here. You know, I think myself and a lot of others never really see it as a, as a educator. You know, is it a good point? It's, you know, it's Brighton. We always should be looking to beat them. So what were your thoughts coming into that game? Do you, do you think we'd really turned a corner and it was a chance to capitalise on the biggest stage? When I said walk into the game, usually I say, oh yeah, I would have taken the point before the game. But I said walk into the game. If I say that after the game, then I'm lying to you because the only thing I would take from the game is three points. Um, because I do think we had a good, Palace had a good chance of beating Brighton. I think um, Brighton are really poor defensively. And I think Palace could, um, were going to, I thought before the game anyway, that Palace were going to expose that. Um, because Brighton were always going to try and do the same thing. Slow build up, slow build up. And all of a sudden they go. And every player of theirs is in your half. And it happened a few times. And it looked like if Palace won the ball, there'd be some good counter-attacking moments. And Palace's chance eventually came. They looked the more likely of scoring in the first half. Um, and it was taken well. It was a good goal. Um, and the ground was just rocking at that point. And the team's gone in for half-time. As I say, good goal. Oh, you done brilliantly to put it away. It was a phenomenal ball in for Elise. But... The team's gone in and you think, right, we can make a proper go this in the second half. And I actually thought Palace came out and done all right. Um, first five, ten minutes, they looked ambitious. They looked like another chance and they looked like they get the second. And then all of a sudden, the negative tactics came in. It was sit back and defend the 1-0 win. Defend the 1-0 win. And 
defender one nil win again and defender one nil win again and you're like all of a sudden Brighton were on top and they were going to score you knew they were going to score you just had the feeling that the goal was coming and yes it was a moment of brilliance from Brighton I think Eze probably should have done better at first with the initial clearance of the ball which gave Brighton the ball back um and I think Brighton deserved the point. But like I say, a moment of brilliance from well back, great header into the back of the goal. Um, but I just think Palace's negative tactics caused them to drop points in that game because if they would have shown a bit more attacking intent in the game, I don't think that chance happens because Palace are getting away a bit more. They probably scored a second. Eze should have scored a second. He took far too long with a shot and couldn't get it away um, and it ended up getting blocked. But I just think it was the negative tactics really cost Palace a win in that game. And, and it was annoying because after the first half, I thought Palace were very good. And they had more than enough to beat that Brighton side last uh, on Thursday night. Is it a summary? Is it a rant? Who knows? But nonetheless, Bobby, a very, very good summary there. Um, looking at the key issues then, I think one thing that really surprised people was the inclusion of Will Hughes. Um, I actually thought he had a fairly decent game, particularly in the first half, where I thought he made a number of key key duels that he won and was able to break up play and ultimately progress it, which is something we don't really see from him. Um, you know, it, it was a bit of a surprise. So I think everyone would have been fairly happy, whether it was, you know, Eze or Franser or Ozo or or anyone else, frankly, any other midfielder, Richards, Gyro, you name it, that started in his place. And, you know, we obviously had Richards and, and Lerma in, but I think Hughes was a real surprise inclusion. I mean, do you think that was the right shout? Um, I think I would have gone with Ozo, but I think as it happened, it worked out because the, the thing that I would say about Hughes is that on a game where it means something, and what I mean by that is mean something to the fans, that there's a bit of rivalry about it, there's whatever. I think you get a really different Will Hughes. You get a Hughes that will put a challenge in. I mean, Hughes always put a challenge in, but you you could tell he was up for that game and you could tell you were getting the best Will Hughes you could get. And I think he had a really good game, actually. And the only reason he was subbed off was purely because he was on the yellow card and Palace could not risk having one of those midfielders sent off. You know, it's funny you say that because I felt one thing that really shone was his confidence. He looked so, so confident. He, his actual yeah, demeanour was brilliant. I think that's the character you get from Hughes in a rivalry kind of game. I just think he becomes someone different. You only have to look at against Forrest. I know that's not a rivalry for us, but he hates Forrest, obviously, from being at Derby. He just turned into a wind-up merchant. All game long, he turned up to a wind-up merchant, to the fans, to the players. And that's what you saw last night. He, he was He was getting stuck in. He was putting challenges in. He was trying to annoy them. I just thought he was brilliant. For those saying when you say last night, we're recording on uh, on Friday, actually. So no, the day I keep correcting myself last night, Thursday. That's no, fine. It's fine. Don't worry. I'll um, it's fine. I'll I'll leave that in, and I'll just I'll just spice it up. So it's cool. Hughes, as you say, Bobby was really combative, and uh, it, it was something that I felt that really subverted expectations. You know, I think we were a bit unsure as to whether that was the right shout. But you know that you have to say, as I was saying earlier about David Ozo, when we kind of moved between the Brighton and City games with him. You know, we have to be careful here. He's only 18. You know, I think, don't get me wrong, his performance against City was phenomenal. It warranted a start. You know, I think he would have been good enough. I think as it happens, he did hold his own fairly well. But, you know, my concern about putting someone very little experience in is that in a big pressure game like that, as someone who's been with the club for so long and has this personal connection, you know, does he get sloppy? Does he let the occasion get to him? I think probably not. And I don't think it did. But I'm just saying that going into that, there is that risk if you don't know. So, um. 
So I think, you know, actually keeping Ozil on the bench and kind of leaning on him more leniently, should we say, and, and being more willing to put him on as Roy did was probably pretty spot on from the gaffer. So can't really complain. Um, obviously, a great goal from Jordan Ayew, but one real flashpoint was obviously the decision to take him off. As as you say with Hughes, he was also on a yellow card. Um, Roy Hodgson, as it happens, hinted after the game that that was one of the reasons why he was taken off. But, you know, Eze had a bit of a poor performance. And ultimately, do you think that was the right decision to take Ayew off? I don't think the question is whether it was the right decision to take Ayu off because I think probably why they took Ayu off was he was tiring because he had worked bloody hard all game. So I think I don't think that's the right question. I think the question is, did they bring the right person on for Ayu? And I would say no. I would say what you should have done was if you want to play with the negative tactics that we set out to play with in the second half, is you bring Schlupp on. He's that player who's got the high defensive work ethic. He works hard. Um, and he will try and see the game out. Because what happened was, when IU went off and when Eze came on, Brighton got complete control of that left-hand side. It put Mitchell under so much pressure, and everything just started going down that side because there was a super-attacking player there who's not the greatest at defending, and he's not the greatest on the left-hand side, as we all know. Every time he plays on the left, you get a poor reason, whereas when he's in the middle in that free-roaming role, he's brilliant. So I think that if you were going to make that substitution, you bring Schlupp on there for the, like I've already said, the defensive work rate. And what if you really wanted to get Eze on that badly, you should have taken Mateta off because as we all knew, he was tiring and put Eze there in like a false nine kind of role, getting free from the centre-halves and trying to run the show centrally. I mean, speaking of running the show centrally, I mean, it's something that he just simply wasn't able to do, but he did at least try to cut in at times and sort of maraud a bit. But I think, again, when he's tied to the left-hand side, as you say, I think it's just going to be so hard for him to to really like be completely unshackled. I think Eze tries to do too much on, on a few occasions. Um, the build-up to the Brighton's equaliser, uh, all he had to do was hoof the ball on and their chance was dead. But instead, he tried to do that little tippy-tappy, sexy pass that he tries so often. But it was the wrong time to play that pass. The ball fell straight to Brighton, loose in the middle of the park. They managed to get it back out wide again. And uh, the ball goes into the box and they score. So it, it just try, it, it's picking your moments with Eze. And that's the one thing he sometimes hasn't got. It's always got to be the beautiful pass to try and get you forward. Whereas sometimes it's just got to go long. Yeah, totally. I think he was a... Uh... A figure that is obviously much loved by Palace fans, but I think after that performance, I felt that, you know, it, the combination of maybe the wrong substitution and the wrong tactical deployment of someone with his talent. So, you know, I think there's a time and a place. And I will say as one positive, I think, you know, at least being cautious of him and having him back for Chelsea and then obviously a much positive, more, sorry, a much more positive run, I should say, after Christmas would be something. Yeah, and you'd there. expect to see him back in his normal position yeah. in that number 10 kind of role. Uh, but also, he should have won Palace the game yesterday and, and that needs to be spoken about. Palace had a, Beautiful opportunities go turn up. Mateta done wonderfully to absolutely skin dunk and play Eze in. All he had to do was shot for, uh, take a touch and shoot. But then he take, took three or four touches and tried to shoot. And by that time, the chance was gone and the ball was blocked and come away from danger. So it was a poor Eze performance last night. But I, I don't really want to focus on too many poor player performances because I don't think there were many last night. Because the players were given a game plan and whether you like the game plan or not, they went out there and they executed that game plan. Just a brief bit on uh, Tyreek Mitchell, actually, because I think you did mention it earlier, but I didn't want to gloss over it. It was a bit of a hold that thought moment while I while we were recording. Um, you know, Simon Adingra was taken off at half time because he was shit. <laughs> it's that simple. 
Um, I have to admit, he's not been bad for Brighton, has he? He's got quite a number of goals, I believe five in the Premier League. Do correct me if I'm wrong. He's been a very lightning and nimble attacker for them, but he simply didn't have any effectiveness, nor did I think Jao Pedro, frankly, against Palace. Um, and I think Tyrek Mitchell, with the support of Ayub, but particularly to Mitchell in his own right, was a big part of that. So what did you make of his performance at left-back? Well, I actually think you can take this a bit wider, actually, and say the wide areas of the pitch. I don't think Brighton really got any joy out of either of our fullbacks. I think Matoma was pocketed by Klein, and I think Adingra was pocketed by Mitchell. I think they were both really good. I thought they were sound defensive performances. They were both solid. Um, they seemed to win all of their battles. They never really seemed to get beat. I just thought they they controlled that area of the pitch very well for, for 70, 75 minutes of the game. Completely. I think we have to give, again, particular praise to, to Mitchell and Klein. Um, just before we wrap up, I want to talk a bit about um, Welbeck's goal. I mean, we've talked about Henderson himself and, and some of those errors and key moments, but he's overall had two very reasonably solid games and particularly against City had a blinder. But do you think he could have done more to prevent that goal? Because I certainly don't, but I'm curious as to think oh, about... Welbeck's goal? Yeah, Welbeck's goal. I mean, what, what more do you think could have been uh, done? There? No way. No way. Uh, as someone who used to play in goal, I didn't play in goal very well, but used to play in goal. It doesn't surprise no me. You're fucking lanky. No, yeah. No keeper saves that. Uh, it's in the top corner. It's placed brilliantly. It travels awkwardly. Um, yeah, no chance of saving it. But the one thing I would say about that goal is Welbeck could try that 100 times and only score it once. For sure. It was, it was, there's not really a lot you can do with a looping header like that. And I think Roy Hodgson took, perhaps controversially, but he took a lot of time to praise that goal in the media by actually saying that rather than just, you know, making excuses and all the last of it. It was a bit of a touch of class to say, look, there's nothing you can do. It was a fantastic goal. Begrudgingly, you know, you have to accept that these things are in football. Um, as an aside, for those wondering, I used to play right wing because, you know, I'm short. So it was uh, the old mantra of, you know, short king, big bunda, more room to manoeuvre. Don't quote me on that. Um, it was a real shame to concede late on, really. I think it was immeasurably disappointing. Um, you know, it's almost expected considering the last few one ones at Selhurst Park, but... You know, I think we do have to talk about looking ahead. So just looking ahead to Chelsea, what do you think about the tactics and how we could do against that? So where you go from here is Chelsea, I actually do think Palace will get a result from. Um, I think they stand a very good chance there. They, they're they well overdue a win at Stamford Bridge. Uh, they're well overdue a win against Chelsea in general. I think it's six years since Palace have last beaten Chelsea. Uh, six years since Palace have even got points against Chelsea, let alone beaten so I certainly think they'll go there. They'll give it a good go. I think they'll keep it defensively strong. I wouldn't be surprised if he went for a five at the back again because that seemed to work against City. And Chelsea are a good side. Don't get me wrong. They're a good side. They play good football. They just can't score goals. Um, so I do think that as long as Palace keep it strong at the back and look to play with ambition on the break, maybe bring Eze into the middle again, uh, JP for 60 minutes because as you could tell on Thursday night against Brighton, he can't go 90 minutes in a game and everyone's known this for a long time. But I do think Palace Palace can turn this around. I think, like I say, can get a result against Chelsea, can definitely get a result against Brentford, even though it's the most notorious game for a draw in the league. Then you play Arsenal, it's another free hit, like I spoke about Man City being a free hit. And then you get a more favourable run of fixtures, if you like. You Sheffield United, Brighton away, which anything could happen in. Chelsea at home, Everton away, and then Burnley at home. So I, I don't think it's all doom and gloom for Palace. Certainly not. 
Well, without further ado, we'll wrap up there. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Um, of course, it's the last pod, as we said at the start of the year, and I did already express my gratitude, but I just want to say again, thank you for all your support in 2023. It's been a very bumpy ride, and for the most part, not a particularly pleasant one. So both for your support and for the club and for this podcast, it's been absolutely immense. And, you know, we're always reading your feedback and we're very grateful. So um, if you could leave us a five-star review, that'd be brilliant. But if not, that's absolutely fine. We just want your feedback. You can leave one star. You can moan about me, whoever. It's absolutely fine. Your feedback is always appreciated because we just want to improve the product, improve the podcast, improve the whole offering, really. If you've not done so already, give us a follow on Twitter at The Palace Way and obviously check out thepalaceway.com. It's exactly as you'd expect it to be in terms of spelling. Um, we've got all the works on there so it's the latest podcast but it's also loads of high quality analysis reviews previews you name it it's there and um, we obviously regularly engage with fans and you as well and we obviously feed that back into the pod too you know we want it to be an open discussion with everyone and we really again value your feedback so if you could go and give that a follow and a check out that would be great um i think the only other thing for me to say is of course as i said last podcast of the year and um, we're recording right before christmas so for those that celebrate, obviously, a very Merry Christmas from myself and everyone at the Palace Way team. Um, it's a joyous time for many, but for some, not so much. And we appreciate that um, it's been a very tough winter for many. And, you know, obviously, we we only want the best for our fans and listeners. And we're, again, very grateful for your support. So please have a lovely Christmas. Stay safe and enjoy it and spend time with loved ones, be that friends or family. Um, and, of course, again, a very happy new year. Um, we will be recording probably in the new year, actually, as, as we go on to Brentford. So it probably will be a while before we get the next pod out. But again, we're trying to stick to a fairly regular schedule, despite the very irregular pattern of games that we get over Christmas. And uh, we're doing our best. You know, we don't get it right all the time, but we're heading in the right direction. And again, we couldn't do it without you. So I'll stop waffling. Bobby, do you want to say anything before we wrap up? Yeah, just echoing the message um, that you shared. Um, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year from everyone at the Palace Way. And I look forward to seeing as many of you as possible at Stamford Bridge on the 27th of December. Thank you very much.